0: Om, vasudeva Sutam Devam, Kamsa Chano Ramadanam, Deva Ki Paramanandam, Krishnam Vande Jagadgurum. So in the Bhagavad Gita, we have completed the second chapter which is basically the, the essence of the teaching. The entire teaching, what Sri Krishna wanted to say, all of Vedanta, has actually been taught. But then, then why are there 16 more chapters to go? And there are 18 chapters in the Bhagavad Gita. The thing has to be explained in detail. You will see a new chapter starts where Arjuna asks a question certain things which are not clear, and Arjun asks the question. When Arjun asks the question, we say, yes, that's what I wanted to know. And so a new chapter starts. Um, the, second chapter start, uh, the third chapter is called Karma Yoga. Huh? Karma Yoga. The second chapter is Sankhya Yoga. Sankhya Yoga here means the way of knowledge. And the second, uh, third chapter is uh, Karma Yoga, the way of knowledge. Or the the yoga of action, not the way of action, the yoga of action. Before we get into this, among the many commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita over the last, um, say say from Shankaracharya's time onwards, many great philosophers, saints have written commentaries um, in Sanskrit, different schools of Vedanta and afterwards uh, in other languages too down to our present day and of course there have been many translations including one uh, last year here in America and there was a review I think in New York Times or something uh, somewhere uh, and the reviewer said apparently to read the Gita is to be seized with a desire to translate it (laughs) so there are endless translations And Yale University last year conducted a summer camp on the Bhagavad Gita, on the English translations of the Bhagavad Gita. And they collected, a, they made a collection of all the English translations that have ever been done of the Bhagavad Gita. Um, now, among the ancient commentaries I refer to, of course, Shankaracharya's commentary is famous, Shankara Shankarabhashyam, I refer to that. I refer to the this one which is Sridharaswami's commentary. It's called Sridharatika or Subodhini Tika. Tika means a gloss. It's not a full-fledged explanation. It's just um, certain difficult words and phrases are elucidated. It's a very, very nice, um, short commentary. There are different kinds of commentaries. Bharsya, Vartika, Tika. This is not the time to go in depth, but just a few words about them. Uh, They had a whole system of of commentaries and sub-commentaries and sub-sub-commentaries. So the original texts like the Upanishads or the Bhagavad Gita or the Brahma Sutras. So great teachers would write their own commentaries. So the original commentaries were called Bhashya. Bhashya is a full-fledged commentary where the writer, the commentator is expected to set out a full system of philosophy. So, if Shankaracharya wants to establish non-dual Vedanta, his bhashya should reflect arguments to establish non-dual Vedanta. On the same text, the same Upanishads, the same Bhagavad Gita, the same Brahma Sutras, but Shankaracharya gives a lot of arguments to say why non-duality is the import, the, the point of all of these teachings. The same texts are taken up by others, like um, Ramanujacharya, for example, two, three hundred years after Shankaracharya, who writes commentaries, full-fledged commentaries, Bhashyam, but where he gives arguments to prove a qualified monastic interpretation of the same Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita, especially Bhagavad Gita and Brahma Sutra and so on. So that's one kind of commentary. What is it called? Bhashyam. Bhashyam. In fact, in the Himalayas, If you go to the monks there, Shankara's followers, they call Shankaracharya Bhagawan Bhasyakara or Bhasyakara Bhagawan. The the master teacher, the master commentator. Our lord the master commentator, Bhagawan Bhasyakara. Um, Then there is another kind of commentary called Vartika. Vartika is in verse form. It's a commentary on the commentary on the first commentary on the Bhashya. What, do, what does it do? What's the point? It's not to establish a new system. Uh, it's to clarify points which may have re- remained obscure in the original commentary. So, to give an example, Shankaracharya wrote a commentary Bhashya on the Taittiriya Upanishad, Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, for example, and then the Vartika was written by Sureshwara Acharya, who was maybe. The senior most of Shankaracharya's eldest and certainly one of the most learned of Shankaracharya's disciples. I am talking a lot about Shankaracharya. It is relevant. This week, I think yesterday was the birthday of Shankaracharya and uh, um, day after tomorrow I am going to speak about Shankaracharya. So Sureshwaracharya wrote the Vartika on Shankara's Bhashya. So Shankara in Advaita Vedanta tradition, Shankaracharya is known as Bhashyakara and Sureshwaracharya is known as Vartikakara, the writer of the Vartika, uh, of the verse commentary. Uh, so, what does the Vartika do? It takes up the original commentary of Shankaracharya, and then clears points which may be obscure, which may have remained untouched upon by Shankaracharya. So, it comments on Shankaracharya's commentary, but the Vartika is in verse form. They say in Sanskrit, there, there are definitions of what is a vartika, what is a bhashya. The vartika definition says, Ukta, nukta Ukta means whatever has been said by Shankaracharya, the uh, kara has a right to comment on that. Anukta, what has not been said by the uh, shang- uh, bhashya kara, by Shankaracharya, the kara has, uh, has, has to fill up the gaps in, uh, in explanation. Um, Duruktan which are said but, but difficult. In Shankaracharya's commentary, it's difficult. So that has to be clarified. And there are commentaries like this one, which are called tika. The English word is gloss, uh, where just the words of the original are um, uh, explained a little more. The tika the writer of this gloss, has no right to set out a full-fledged system of philosophy. Uh, has to just follow the original and uh, uh, give a simple commentary. This is used to teach the novices. For example, Bhagavad Gita is taught twice to the novices in Belurmat, in, where they, the novice monks are trained. So that once in the first year, their two years training, first year they are taught the Bhagavad Gita beginning to end with the help of this commentary. And the second year they are taught the same thing all over again with the help of Shankaracharya's commentary. So before one goes on to something like Shankaracharya's commentary, it's easier to take up this one. But there are many others. Why I'm saying all this, there's a point to it. Uh, There is another commentary which is almost contemporary with this one. Madhusudan Saraswati, who was a contemporary of of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sri Chaitanya. He was a great, great philosopher. Um, He wrote a commentary, an independent commentary on the... um, Bhagavad Gita strictly according to the teachings of Shankaracharya non-dualist commentary that commentary is called Deepika, the, the lamp of the profound inner meaning of the Bhagavad Gita which is a very beautiful commentary written about 500 years, 600 years ago so in that Madhusudan Saraswati's commentary Deepika, when he begins the third chapter what we are going to do now When he begins the third chapter, he takes the occasion to give an outline of the entire teaching of the Bhagavad Gita, chapter-wise, in one paragraph, So, which is a very masterful uh, exercise. Now, I am going to tell you what he has said. But before that, a caution. We are always told that read the original before going to the commentaries. We are told. And there is a reason why. Because when you go to the commentaries, the commentators have an agenda. So they want to paint the Bhagavad Gita as a non-dualist text or a dualist text or some kind of particular angle is there. Before your mind gets colored by that, you can take up, um, you should read the original. Uh, Just go through the original verses. Then you might say, then what is the point of reading the commentaries? The point of reading the commentaries is these are very profound thinkers, they are great saints, they are enlightened um, souls. So, their reflections are very valuable, very enriching. You know, I read only the original. Well, even if you read the original, you are interpreting it. If you are thinking at all, then you are interpreting it. And your interpretation is is at at the level of your understanding, of your personality. Which is good, one should make that effort. But also enrich one's understanding by looking at these commentaries. So with that caution in mind, that Madhusudan is painting a Madhusudan Saraswati is painting a, a, a picture. So what he says is, in the first line he gives an outline of the entirety of spiritual life. He says, first by the practice of karma yoga, I'll Tell you very quickly what he says. First, by the practice of karma yoga, one's mind is purified. From the purity of mind comes the fourfold qualification for Vedanta. You remember? Viveka, the discernment between the eternal and the non eternal. Vairagya, a dispassion for the non eternal. Um, shatsampati, the sixfold discipline, sixfold treasure. What are they? Shama, control of the mind. Dhamma, control of the senses. Titiksha, a spiritual fortitude. Um, Then uh, Uparati, withdrawal from sensuous enjoyments. Samadhan, a focus. Shraddha, a faith in uh, the teacher and and the text. So sixfold, these will come. And Mumukshuttvam, an intense desire to be free of samsara. (coughs) These four, they are called sadhan Chatushtay. The fourfold qualifications for Vedanta. With this, the Vedantic study becomes effective. Effective means leads to enlightenment. If these are not strong enough, you may understand Vedanta, you may attend, you may like Vedanta, but you will still crib and complain. It's not delivering. So it's not Vedanta's fault. Vedanta did tell you that you need these fourfold qualification. Where do these fourfold qualifications come from? From purity of mind. Where does purity of mind come from? Karma yoga. So the performance of work in the spirit of karma yoga. Leads to fitness for Vedanta. Remember whose interpretation. Krishna does not say this directly. But this is Madhusudana Saraswati's structure. Um, it it uh, leads to fitness for. Jnana yoga. For Advaita Vedanta. For Vedanta. Non-dual Vedanta. Then he says Karma Sanyasa. Then works are renounced. One renounces uh, ritualistic works. And worldly works. And now dedicates oneself. To Vedanta, Vichara, Sahita, Bhagavad, Bhakti, Nishtha, he says. The next stage is, along with, uh, with this Vedantic inquiry, what we are doing here. A deep devotion to God is cultivated. Leading to, he says, Tattva, Jnana, Nishtha. Enlightenment arises and then Nishtha, one stays with that enlightenment. Tattva, Jnana, knowledge or realization of the reality. What is the reality? We know in Advaita Vedanta the reality is Aham brahmasmi Tattva Masi. I am the absolute. That thou art. That becomes a reality. And Madhusudan Saraswati says next you stay with it. Tattva Jnana Nishtha. Stay with it. The result of staying with that will be, he says, avidya Ignorance is removed and one enjoys Jivan Mukti. Enlightenment while, freedom while living. Freedom while living. Until he says, until the results of the prarabdha karma, the karma which generated this body, until the results of that are exhausted and this body drops off, it dies. And so then he says next is videha mukti. Videha mukti means the body drops off and that enlightened person remains as Brahman, in its infinite nature as Brahman. All of this in one sentence. Oh, I'll have to memorize it then. <laughs> I should have got it, right? Um, um, I'm almost tempted to bring it and re- re- read it out to you. <laughs> All right, we'll do, if you remember, I'll do it next time. Okay, remind me, I'll do it next time. In one sentence, very beautiful. The whole of spiritual life. But the chain is, to repeat once again, from karma yoga, purity of mind. Through purity of mind, the fourfold qualification from Vedanta. And with the fourfold qualification of Vedanta comes renunciation of all works. Interesting, we have to think about this. Renunciation of all works, karma sarva, karma sannyasa. Combined with, he says, Vedanta vichara, Vedanta vakya vichara, bhagavad bhakti nishtha. Cultivation of Vedantic inquiry with devotion to God. Leading to jnana nishtha, um, enlightenment and staying with that enlightenment, leading to Jivan Mukti, freedom while living, leading to finally Videha Mukti, freedom after the dropping away of the body. This is the whole scope of spiritual life in Advaita Vedanta. Uh-huh. Then he goes on, what does each chapter do? So he says the second chapter gives you the essence of the teaching, whole teaching. Then he says the third chapter tells you about Karma Yoga which is going to tell you how to remember what is karma yoga to give rise to purity of mind then the fourth chapter and the fifth chapter they tell you in more details about karma yoga and the enlightenment arising out of it how to practice Vedantic Manana, especially Nididhyasana sixth chapter is about Nididhyasana at the end of the sixth chapter he says the first six chapters okay here is one more thing which Madhusudan Saraswati says according to him You know the great Vedantic sayings, Mahavakya, that thou art, Tattvamasi. that thou art. That stands for Brahman, thou stands for you, you are that, that thou art. According to him, the whole of Bhagavad Gita, 18 chapters, can be understood as that thou art. So the first six chapters tells you what you really are, thou. In Sanskrit, tuam padarth. Tat tvamasi, Tat means that. It's very close to the English. That, tat, or that. Tvam means thou. Tat tvamasi, That thou art. Now, the first six chapters tell you who or what you are—not the body, not the mind, the witness consciousness beyond the body and mind. That's the. That's where the first six chapters culminate. Tuam padarth. He says. Then the next six chapters, he says, from chapter 7 to chapter 12, tells you about that. Here that means Brahman or God, Saguna Brahman. Not Nirguna Brahman, Saguna Brahman, not the absolute, the God of religion. So chapter 7 to uh, chapter 12 is cultivation of devotion to God. Understanding what the ultimate reality is and cultivation of uh, a devotional attitude taken to that. Uh, that is chapter six to chapter twelve: The Nature of God and devotion to God then from then chapter thirteen he says uh, brings the two together that thou art the ikna the oneness so actually God is not God, you are not you, you are pure consciousness existence consciousness place, God is also existence consciousness place that way you are one and the same just as the wave and the ocean. Ocean is like God. Wave is like the individual. But both of them are actually water. Yes. So that is understood he says. In 13th chapter. He says prakriti purusha viveka. The understanding of what is consciousness and what is nature. Kshetra Kshetra 13th chapter. Madhusudan Saraswati says. What is 13th chapter? It tells you about tat Brings it together. Then 14th chapter. Enlightenment, Jivan Mukti. Realizing that one how one lives. The word used in 14 chapters, Gunatita, going beyond the three gunas. Enlightened, living at the enlightened life. 15th chapter, he says Paravairagya. Purushottam yoga. That means uh, one, one is established as I am Brahman. What is life like? What is it? What is that like? 15th chapter. 16th chapter, manifesting the divinity in life. He says, Daivi sampat, the, the so-called divine qualities to be, um, to be cultivated, not at that time, from the very beginning. So that your enlightenment is expressed, um, literally if you put it in very simple words, one becomes a saint, the saintly qualities, divine qualities, 16th chapter. 17th chapter talks about the specific kind of shraddha. He says sattvic shraddha necessary for de- developing divine qualities. And the 18th and the last chapter according to Madhusudana Saraswati. Is a summary of the teaching of the entire Bhagavad Gita. Putting it all together in the 18th chapter. So that is Madhusudan Saraswati's picture of the Bhagavad Gita. Again if you have read the Gita you might say. Nice, but I have a couple of (laughs) questions. Yes, see the thing is when you are trying to draw a picture, summarize in one paragraph, 700 verses of so much material is packed in there, you have to oversimplify. So is it really true that the entire Bhagavad Gita is that davat tattva masi? Maybe not, but it's certainly one way of looking at it. That's one way of looking at it. A non dualist would be very happy with that way of looking at it. asi. First six chapters, Twam, Thou, the real nature of you. The next six chapters, the real nature of that, Saguna Brahman, God. And the last six chapters, bringing them together, that Thou art. Neither the Jiva nor Ishvara, but Nirguna Brahman, the Absolute. Alright. That's so much for the big picture. Now back to chapter 3 What's happening now In chapter 2 Do you remember Krishna had concluded Very beautiful verse The nature of the enlightened person <laughs> This O oh Arjuna Is the state The Brahmic state The state of uh, the absolute being identified with the absolute fully enlightened even if one gets a taste of it at the very end of one's life at the very last moment of one's life one still attains nirvana so this is what he ended with now Arjuna has a question third chapter first verse Arjuna vacha Arjuna vacha Jayasichet karmanaste Jayasichet karmanaste Mata budhir jana Mata budhir jana Tatkim karmaniko re maam Tatkim karmaniko re maam Neo jayasikeshava Neo jayasikeshava So, Arjuna asks a question. He says, If knowledge, jnana, enlightenment, is greater than superior to action, then why are you pushing me into this terrible action? O Krishna. Now, what is behind this question? There is a deep misunderstanding, a very natural misunderstanding behind this question. He says, Clearly, I had some problem and I came to you. Chapter 1. Chapter 2 you started teaching me. Second chapter. And the first thing you taught me is you are not the body. The body dies but we still go on living. You are not even the mind. Beyond the body and mind you are the spirit absolute. You are existence, consciousness, place. And the way to and then what do you, what does, what do you have to do? You don't have to do anything. You have to realize that. You already are one with God. You already are divine, you are just, just missing it. So the, the solution to the problem is to realize that I am Brahman. And this realization is done by knowledge, jnana. That's what you taught first. And then at the end you taught me how the enlightened, enlightened means lit up by what, not neon lights, lit up by knowledge. So knowledge, if one gets this spiritual knowledge what is, what is that enlightened person like? At the end you taught me that. So far very clear. You are telling me to cultivate knowledge. Jnana, spiritual knowledge, spiritual realization, enlightenment. And I am on board with that, Arjuna feels. That's what I want to do. I don't want to fight this horrible war. I just want to... You are right. I will go and study and meditate and become enlightened. Very good. But the catch is in between... You started talking about duty and work and um, we, you have right to the work alone, not right to the results of the work and do not take to inaction, but do karma yoga. You started talking about that and you conclude, you say that one should, you should go and do this thing itself, what, what you are about to do. Which one should I do? You see, uh, Arjuna's confusion is, it seems Krishna is recommending knowledge, jnana yoga. Having talked about jnana yoga, how good it is because it is the solution to your problems. After that, in the conclusion he says, now do karma yoga. He, he, he is a cognitive dissonance here. Tell me one. Which one am I supposed to do? You think you are recommending spiritual knowledge and enlightenment and then you say that, do action. Go and fight this war which is in front of you. What is the nature of Arjuna's question? His question is, um, he thinks there is a, there's a deep-rooted um, misunderstanding. He thinks they are actually two. But they are not actually two. They are actually part of one spiritual journey. I need to fly out to say California now what do you say Swami take a taxi a cab to LaGuardia and then take the flight to, to um, uh, LAX I said tell me one you're confusing me cab or flight <laughs> I said no <laughs> take both how can I take both you have to take both Without taking the, see the plane will get you to California. That's the way people go. But without taking the cab, you can't get to the plane. It's it's, or the subway or whatever it is. So uh, one is preparation. One gets you ready and the other one delivers the goods. So karma yoga is preliminary. It prepares what Madhusudan Saraswati said, by karma yoga, purity of mind and the fourfold qualification, then by jnana yoga, enlightenment. So, preparation is necessary, those fourfold qualifications are necessary. If we don't have that, if we do not do karma yoga, enlightenment is not possible. And if we do karma yoga, but we do not do jnana yoga, then again, enlightenment will not happen. It is knowledge which leads to enlightenment, but that knowledge will not dawn upon us without karma yoga. Often what, you know, where the shoe pinches is because we lack the necessary qualifications. And the necessary qualifications, jnana, yoga, yogyata, yogyata means qualifications. They come from a performance of unselfish action, karma yoga. What Krishna was telling him is this, look, you have come to fight. This battle, Arjuna's situation, remember battle here is just a way of putting it, almost none of us are going out to fight a battle, what it means the battlefield is your life, it could be your school, your home and again don't mistake me, battlefield will go, go back home and start quarrelling with husband, wife, children, why? because we learned we have to fight, <laughs> we have to fight the battle, no not that kind of fighting. Yes, you have to face up to what is uh, what life presents you with. Now, Arjuna, you have come to the battlefield. After all, Arjuna, before all this Bhagavad Gita and all, he's a warrior. He has come to the battlefield. He has worked hard to put together that army and to fight against the evildoers. It's only at the last moment that his nerve fails him. And that he feels that, what's the point of fighting this battle? I don't want the kingdom at the cost of all this bloodshed. It's I know those are the bad guys, but... Um, but is it worth killing so many of our uh, kinsmen and all of that? So Krishna says, "You came here for selfish reasons." This is what the, this is the meaning of Krishna's teaching. You came here for worldly reasons. Arjuna came here to uh, came to the battlefield to get the kingdom, which is rightfully his and his brothers. He came here to get the kingdom. He came to the battlefield to take revenge on the wrongdoers. He came to the battlefield to punish the wrongdoers. All of which are allowable. Are already perfectly alright within norms of society. But now he has lost interest in these worldly goals. Now he is enthusiastic about the spiritual struggle which Krishna has told him. That I want to become enlightened. So he feels this is not necessary. I am going to go away. I will just... Maybe I'll just stay in the Vedanta society or something like that, you know. <laughs> I won't turn up for my job tomorrow. And you take the kids to school. I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. I, have, I have no more worldly pursuits. People do that, actually. And what Krishna, this question is, is a deep question. Uh, the Krishna now says, what you were doing for worldly, very good worldly reasons, the same thing now you must do same thing but now you must do it as a spiritual practice why after all i want enlightenment i am brahman what, how, how is turning up in the office and taking the kids to school and doing the groceries how is that going to make me realize i am brahman krishna says is going to tell us those same activities the same it's karma the same karma performed unselfishly now for the purpose of enlightenment. Serves not to give you enlightenment. Serves to purify the mind. Get the mind ready. Get the mind ready. Ready for what? For the enlightenment which will be given by Vedanta. By, by that thou art, by, by Vedantic knowledge. So if Vedantic knowledge gives me enlightenment. Let me go straight to Vedanta. Won't work. I remember reading Swami Ashokanandaji. In San Francisco in the 1950s, um, he's writing a letter. He says, I know when I tell you to do karma yoga, many of you are, are rebellious. You are he's writing to his disciples. You, you're grumbling and thinking, oh, Swami doesn't think I am ready for meditation. Well, I will show him. And then he writes, yes, you will show me, but not in the way you think. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll come to you. Sitting down for meditation. What are the signs? Sitting down for meditation. Sleepy. (laughs) I want to be the Buddha, but sleepy Buddha. (laughs) Swami Prabhavanandaji in his book, Sermon on the Mount According to Vedanta. You know, one of the beatitudes is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See how direct that teaching is. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. And Madhusudan Saraswati says. The first thing required is a purity. Inner purity. How do you do that? How do you become pure in heart? Karma Yoga. And Swami Prabhupada says. How do I know? I, I don't think I am impure. How do I know that there's, there's, I need Karma Yoga? And Swami Prabhupada Ji. He, he just gives a very simple example. He says. Right now. Right now, stop reading. Just try to hold on to the thought of God in any any form. You know, my Krishna or my Christ or whatever it is. Just hold on to that thought. You will notice within seconds, it's your mind. You have made up your mind. I'm going to think about Krishna now or Shiva now or whatever. Or Om. My mind, I want to make it do something. Within seconds, the mind has gone this way or that way. Why? Uh, That he says If it does that in for most cases It does that If it does that It shows Deep seated impurities What are impurities? One needn't feel bad about it This is just conditioning Lifetimes This lifetime And many lifetimes past We have spent in chasing The things of the world What are the things of the world? Form and sound And smell And taste And touch Nama, Rupa Gandha, Sparsha Shabda the, the, the attractive things of the senses and the mind has become colored with that. Now when I want the mind to meditate, it won't. It will come back to that, what it finds pleasant. So that is the impurity of the mind and a powerful way of cleansing the mind is karma yoga. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God directly. If you put it in Vedantic terms, blessed are those whose minds are pure so that they will get enlightened. They will realize I am Brahman. Do you still have the question? Yes, it's Swamiji. Talking about Arjun and the coaching of Lord Krishna in battlefield. Do you think the history would be different if Buddha, while leaving his palace, had met encountered Lord Krishna? No, no. It wouldn't be. It's the same teaching. I remember reading an article uh, written by one of our modern uh, uh, wise commentators, wise within quotes. I call them wise guys. (laughs) He said, Krishna, look what Krishna did in the Gita. He taught Arjuna to fight a battle so bad. If Arjuna had met Buddha, Buddha would have taught him, given him the message of peace and there wouldn't have been any battle. I think, I, mean, I just have the picture of Krishna and Buddha both going... <laughs> People who have not the slightest interest in spiritual life. The whole aim is worldly. Now they fancy themselves to be commentators on anything from A to Z. And then they, they make this... It, it was a nicely written article. Makes no sense whatsoever if you have read the gita if you have read the the say uh, dhammapada these are not social tracts these are not um, um, you know um, something to do with uh, with the, with how society should be run uh, what is uh, it's, it's not the the charter of the united nations it's not that these are these are teachings for enlightenment People who make these comments, I mean that article, these are people, if you push a little further, if you look at the background of the person, that person has no interest in spirituality, is convinced that there is no God, no enlightenment, is a committed materialist and therefore when with those eyes they look upon religion, whether it is Christ or Krishna, (laughs) Buddha or Chaitanya, Vedanta or Bhakti or whatever it is, when they look upon religion, they see only the social side of religion, the, uh, only the ethical side of religion, uh, the, um, the, the problems with gender and the problems with caste. All of those are interesting dimensions. They are not the core of religion. So, yes. So, would history have been different? No, they wouldn't have been different. They would have given exactly the same teaching. But, yes. It could have been clothed in different language and different stories and a different approach. Both here, Krishna is talking about moksha. He is even using the word nirvana for God's sake. And Buddha is talking about nirvana. He just wouldn't say for God's sake. He'll just drop that God part of it. <laughs> for your sake. Uh, somebody joked that uh, you know the, the poet who talks about the loss of belief in God. He talks about the God-shaped hole in the human psyche. And somebody quipped that the Buddhists replaced the God-shaped hole in the human psyche with a hole-shaped God. Shunya, the void. (laughs) All right. So If you think better than karma, buddhi. Buddhi here means knowledge, jnana. Here, buddhi, so words differ according to context. Buddhi may mean intellect. Here buddhi means knowledge. What knowledge? Knowledge of the Atman which you have taught in the second chapter. If you think that is far superior, O Krishna, O Janardana. karmani Why are you pushing me into action? And not good action, bad action. This is terrible action, war is the worst possible um, action in in, in, uh, human affairs. Why are you pushing me into this? I think one reason is, if spirituality can be practiced on the battlefield, the worst possible uh, place in any kind of uh, human affair, then how much more so we can practice spirituality in our office, at, at home and in our communities. We often think it's difficult. Oh, it's so much. You are saying that because Swami, you are a monk. A monk stays in ashrams or in mountain tops. But Krishna is not a monk. Arjuna is not a monk, and they are not in an ashram. So it is possible to be spiritual in the midst of the battlefield of life. I think that's the meaning of this whole thing. Krishna is not advocating violence. Remember, Krishna tried to stop it, and not only that. Um, if this was about war and peace, was this was about war and peace, for a thousand, fifteen hundred years at least, Hindus have been reading the Bhagavad Gita and studying it and writing commentaries, all the commentaries I told you about, Shankaracharya's commentary, um, Sridhar Swami's commentary, Ramanuja's, Madhva's commentary, Madhusudan's commentary, so on, all the old commentaries down to the present age. None of them ever even take it as a question of is it a question of war? Should we fight wars or should we not fight wars? Even that question does not come up at all. Everybody from the very beginning without any doubt takes it as a teaching, a spiritual teaching about one's personal life. How could Mahatma Gandhi derive 150 years of Mahatma Gandhi this year. How could Mahatma Gandhi derive um, non-violence from the Bhagavad Gita? If it was about war? Not at all. It's not about, at all about that. It would be of no interest to mm, a thousand years of uh, Hindus reading it if it was about fighting wars. It, it would have no relevance to our day to day life. It's not about that. So, karmani ghore maam. Ghore means terrible, horrible action. You're pushing me into horrible action. So, the, uh, the doubt in his mind is he's thinking... Krishna is offering him an option. Choose one or two. One of these two. Pick one. Hmm. Pick one. Karma yoga or jnana yoga. Krishna is not offering him an option. Krishna, um, Krishna is telling him about the spiritual journey which starts with karma yoga and culminates with jnana yoga. So, Arjuna follows this up with, um, another, with the second part of the same question. Verse number two. Vyāmiśrēne vavākyenā, Vyāmiśrēne vavākyenā, Buddhim moha yasīvame, Buddhim moha yasīvame, Tadekam vadaniṣcitya, Tadekam vadaniṣcitya, Yena śreyo āpnuyāṁ, Yena śreyo āpnuyāṁ, with a mixed message, yeah that's a good way of putting it. Vyamishrey never means mixed. With a mixed message, you are consu- you are confusing me as it were. Buddhim mohayasi. Here Buddhi means my intellect. In verse number one, Buddhi means knowledge. Means knowledge of the self. Who am I? Here Buddhi means intellect. You are confusing my understanding, my intellect, with a mixed message. As if. Mohayasi Eva. As if. Why as if? Because Krishna is the teacher. Here he is not actually accusing the teacher. That would be uh, irreverent. You see, this this is a very interesting uh, thing that when you approach a spiritual master, when you approach spiritual teachings, in fact, any kind of teaching, the correct approach is, what is reverence? Reverence is, I am sure you are right. I am sure this is right. I don't get it. That's why I am asking a question. There is another kind of question. This question of a skeptic. The person who wants to learn and a person who is already a con- who is convinced that this is all nonsense. So the question of the skeptic is, I know you are wrong, and I'm going to prove prove that you are wrong. <laughs> yeah. So if you go into a class into NYU or Columbia and go to a physics class or a math class, convinced that the professor is a liar and uh, the textbooks are fake news, and <laughs> <laughs> you are not going to learn anything not going to learn anything does that mean then you can't ask questions of course not you must ask questions this is the fine line it's not a question of believing something that, uh, that, will, that approach will not work in, in, uh, uh, in Vedanta look at what Arjuna says Tadekam Vada Nishtitya he says pick one and give me a clear one pointed instruction tell me one thing Tell me one thing is like asking for orders, like a soldier. Okay, tell me to do this. When should I get up? How many times should I repeat the mantra? How many times should I bathe? What should I eat? What should I not eat? How should I sit? So those are very good instructions. And Krishna will give plenty of instructions, times to come. But the core of Vedanta is not like a drill sergeant who is going to bark out instructions and you follow to the letter. No, one must understand. In Vedanta, one must understand It's after all the path of knowledge. It works through your understanding. It works through your intellect. We are not talking about intellectual understanding here. But intellectual understanding is a must. In Vedanta. One must grasp it first. And then that intellectually grasped truth deepens into enlightenment. It's still beyond the intellect. But it goes through the intellect. You cannot say. Alright I believe you. If you go to a class here the math class I'm talking about and the professor tells you about calculus or something and you say and he says, did you get it? I said, no, but you are great, I believe you <laughs> the professor is going to tear his hair <laughs> he says, no, I don't want you to believe me, I want you to understand and to understand one must ask questions but ask questions with what attitude? I'm sure you are right professor, I'm sure the textbook is right but I don't get it, could you explain it to me once again? So that is the approach And Arjuna that's why he's saying You're cons- confusing me as if yeah. I know you're not trying to confuse me I'm confused Why don't you tell me one thing See the deep rooted misunderstanding is still there One of the two He wants one of the two By cab or by plane How do I get to California Tell me one thing yeah. one th- um, Going back to um, This uh, Madhusudan Saraswati's big picture. One, um, there is something he says there. Just a little bit, I want to touch upon this. Sarva Karma Sannyasa. Sannyasa literally means renunciation. Sannyasi means a monk. So there is a great stress on renunciation. But remember, here renunciation means. Renunciation itself, it does not literally mean a a formal monastic life. It could be a formal monastic life. There are three options here. One is the traditional Hindu idea of the four stages of life. Brahmacharya, Grihastha, Vanaprastha, Sannyasa. The preparatory stage of life, the student life. Then the householder's life. You marry, have a family... And you're cultivating spirituality all throughout, from the very beginning. <coughs> then a retired life, children have grown up and gone away. And now you focus, you withdraw from, you withdraw more and more from direct engagement with the world. And you concentrate on your spiritual practices. And finally, you leave everything, all worldly possessions, relationships, and you you are alone in your search for God. That is formal monasticism. So one becomes a monk formally at the end. Who becomes a monk? Not everybody. One has to be ready for that. It's not compulsory. Never was. One has to be ready for that and one can become a monk. So that's that's option one, path one. Another way to formal monasticism is straight away from your preparatory state of life. This is from in the Upanishad it's there. Brahmacharyadva, Grihatva, Vanatva. How do you become a monk? You can become a monk from your preparatory student stage of life from your householder stage of life and from the retired state of life. From any of the three, the what is the condition? He says vairagya. The moment you have dispassion for the world, a search for God, a complete dispassion for the world, you are qualified to become a monk formally. So that's the second state. That's how, for example, we in our order, we become monks. The this, this second uh, option that is from the very beginning, from uh, this, before you get into... Uh, Householder life That's one way also But both of these are formal monasticism It's not That's also not really necessary Is it necessary to become a monk? Yes Is it necessary to become a formally a monk outside? No One must be an internally a monk That attitude And the spiritual attitude is one and the same To be truly spiritual And truly monk-like inside Is the same thing so one can still be in the householder life. One can still be in the householder life. And once one makes up the, you know, one's mind that enlightenment is my goal. Then worldly pursuits no longer are my goal. That is what is meant by Sarva Karma Sannyasa. That is what Krishna is actually recommending to Arjuna. Arjuna was ready to become formally become a monk. Krishna says no. Third option. Remain where you are. Keep doing where you are. This is the best way for spirituality for you. Transform your daily activities into spiritual practice. And go ahead. It is exactly like becoming a monk, but internally. Internally. So, And that internally becoming a monk is the real thing. Externally one may put on robes and still be not at all monk-like. Internally if one has desires. That's, that is called <laughs> disaster. <laughs> so externally one gives up all uh, monastic pursuits, uh, all worldly pursuits and internally worldly desires are there. Terrible condition. It's much better to be in the world and have worldly ambitions and try it out and work there and grow spiritually. And then let go of it. And remember this is a one way thing. It's not that you ever come back. I have become, uh, oh, I have now become monk-like. I have become enlightened. I have, I am um, a Jeevan Mukta or something. Now let's come back to the uh, job. And uh, there are some other things which I had to do in life. So let me take, uh, now it's done. I am I'm a Buddha. Now let me go back. And <laughs> I really wanted to check out that, um a iPhone and the vacation in the Caribbean and th- those things I wanted I didn't have time to do that now I can do that no that never happens and people people have a wrong idea sometimes I remember funny it's a funny story I was uh, when we when I got we get the vows of monasticism in two stages first is called the vows of brahmacharya that you get at five after five years of joining the order four to five years and then after a total of nine to ten years, you become, uh, one gets the vows of, formal vows of monasticism. So about five years in, when I, the day I got, I still remember, I got the vows of, the first set of vows of, uh, of being a brahmachari. Mm, I remember, I thought, well I left home five years ago, maybe I should tell my mom. That I have got the, the, the vows and I had a nice new name, a, new, a big new Sanskrit name. It's called Jnana Vrata Chaitanya. That was my name. So this, usually when you get the vows of Ramacharya, Chaitanya name is given. That's how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his, his name was Krishna Chaitanya. That's why it's called Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. His um, first monastic name was Krishna Chaitanya. I, my name was Jnana Vrata Chaitanya, which is a long name, which basically means uh, one whose vow is knowledge, Jnana Vrata Chaitanya. Basically means a bookworm. <laughs> uh, of course, yes. <laughs> so I was quite proud of it. And, and those were days before mobile phones and all. And so there was one phone under the staircase in the old monastery. And you had to go there. It's quite a scary thing. To, it's like running the gauntlet because... There would be glares of older monks looking, why are you making a phone call? That's the whole thing. <laughs> to whom and for what? So anyway, I thought I should tell my mom because, you know, it's, uh, even if you're a monk or whatever, you have to impress your mom. <laughs> so I went and called. So after five years, you know, I told her, look. I've got my vows today and my new name is Brahmachari Gyanavrata Chaitanya. And my mom said, good, now you can come back home. No, 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 no. That's not the point. I'm sure if I had said that, I'm enlightened now, I know I'm Brahman. She would have said, good, now you can come back home. Swami Vivekananda's mother, you know, she was very proud of him. Uh, when he has t- came back from the West, having spread Vedanta to the West, the World Parliament of Religions, um, sort of given the message of awakening to his countrymen, starting the monastery, the Belurmat and all. So she came and she was happily moving around on the grounds of the new monastery. And she thought, my Naren has done this. Naren. And Vivekananda understood his mother's psychology and she, he said to her, no, not your Narain. It's by His grace, Sri Ramakrishna's grace. He can raise a thousand Vivekanandas from the dust if he wants to. It, it's it's not me. She even thought that oh, he has done all these wonderful things. Good. This this one last thing. You know, I wish he would settle down. You know, get married, and <laughs> he has done everything else. So, moms being moms. No, this is. Not child's play It's not one more thing you do in life This is the end of all activities in life All the game of life Life after life What we have done It culminates in this The picture that Madhusudan Saraswati draws before you Is the ultimate story of our lives That's what it should all go towards There's nothing more beyond that From the finite to the infinite From darkness unto light From the real to the unreal And from death to immortality, that is the ultimate purpose of life there is no coming back after that that uh, story I used to tell, the monkey mind must become a monk mind So that is the basic idea of sannyasa uh, of renunciation, of, become, of uh, monasticism some religions do not have monasticism Judaism does not have monasticism. In India, Sikhism doesn't have monasticism. Islam in general does not have monasticism. Though, though, in all religions, whether they are... Um, um, whether it's Judaism or Zoroastrianism or Islam or Sikhism, there are always people who are like monks, You know, like uh, prophets, like ascetics. Um, there were in the desert, the, the, the prophets of the Old Testament. They used to live like monks. So that was always there. But formal monasticism may not be there in some religions. But if you actually look at the teachings of that religion, basically turns your mind into a monk mind. Basically, the the really serious seeker becomes like that. That common teaching is there in every religion. Some religions have formal monasticism. Hinduism. Buddhism is heavily monastic. Jainism is heavily monastic. Christianity is again like Hinduism has both. Catholic Christianity especially has monasticism, from the very beginning, from, from the time of Christ onwards. So there always have been monks and nuns in, in Catholic Christianity. Yes, And the Orthodox, Russian church, mm-hmm. Eastern Orthodox, they have monasticism. I have a question on the reflected consciousness. Yes, what is the question? The question is, is Chidabhasa the same as Brahman or is it an object? Um, First one must realize what is Chidabhasa. The awareness that we feel right now, that is called reflected consciousness. Reflection of what? And in what? When you look at your face in the mirror, your face is the original face. And what you are seeing there in the mirror is the reflected face. Now, You are the original consciousness, Brahman. Atman, whatever you call it But the mind catches within quotes As it were, this consciousness and channels it the what, the what, what we feel right now We feel aware This awareness which we feel Is it Brahman? No not, not Brahman in itself Notice something about this awareness This awareness which we feel now It increases and decreases Sometimes you feel very alert Sometimes you feel dull Sometimes you feel sleepy and sometimes you are complete. It's, it's, sometimes it's gone. Deep sleep, this, this reflected awareness is gone. So that which comes and goes cannot be Brahman. Pure Brahman, uh, Shuddha Brahman, Nirguna Brahman. It cannot be Nirguna Brahman. That which is subject to increase and decrease. Sometimes sharp, clear awareness. Sometimes dull and diffused. It cannot be Brahman. The Brahman is constant. Brahman does not come and go. So Chidabhasa is not Brahman But But If you say everything, You keep saying everything is Brahman So Chidabhasa also should be Brahman Yes so, Chidabhasa is Brahman plus name and form of Chidabhasa In the sense that everything is Brahman The book is also Brahman The body is in that case also Brahman The mind is also Brahman The rocks and stones are also Brahman Ultimately how? Brahman plus Maya name and form In that case Chidabhasa is also Brahman But if you are asking Brahman as Sachidananda in itself, uh, what we must realize ourselves to be, then Chidabhasa is not that. It's like the reflected face in the, in the mirror. It's very close. It's very similar. That's why the mistake can happen. In Chidabhasa, reflected awareness, one must ask, what is it a reflection of? From there, just like a reflected face, if you look at the reflected face and you can turn in your understanding away from the reflected face towards yourself in the same way turn in your understanding away from the awareness which you are experiencing towards yourself the real aware, awareness capital s self yes you had a question yes uh, so in framework sort of karma yoga are preliminary practice yes That one is doing good works? Not only that. Is karma yoga preliminary practice? Yes. In, remember, framework in Advaita Vedanta, in Shankara's Advaita Vedanta, not just Madhusudan. Madhusudan is very loyal to Shankaracharya. Shankaracharya, this book, Sri Swami, they all have that framework. What is the framework? Just keep it in your mind. The framework is problem solution method keep three rows make a matrix three rows problem solution method what is the problem impurity of mind what is the solution purity of mind what is the method karma yoga notice it doesn't say it will give you enlightenment what will karma yoga do it will remove the impurities make your mind pure problem scattered mind solution concentrated mind method Dhyana yoga or Raja yoga Remember again It does not say Raja yoga will give you enlightenment It will give you a concentrated mind Remove the scatteredness And give you a concentrated mind Then with a purified And concentrated mind Come to the last stage What is the last problem? Ignorance I don't know who I am What is the solution? Knowledge How does that come? Dhyana yoga Jnana Yoga will give you knowledge. That is enlightenment. So Jnana Yoga gives enlightenment. And immediately what Arjuna was, the mistake Arjuna makes is, Oh, Jnana Yoga gives me enlightenment. Let me go straight there. Southwest will take me to California. I don't need Uber. I need Southwest. (laughs) No, it won't work that way. That's why the first two steps have to be accomplished. The monkey mind has to become a monk mind. That is stage one and two. Only that kind of mind, whether you are formally a monk or not, you can be a warrior like Arjuna also. With that kind of a mi- mind, when you come to these teachings, it will lead straight to enlightenment. Before that, well, it leads to, I attended many classes. I really like that teaching. It's really cool. It's, it's very deep. It's very profound. I, I can write, give lectures and write books about it. Are you enlightened? Mm, not quite it won't work unless those two levels are, are are done somebody from california actually sent me a picture it seems they have published they have these zen diaries so somebody has published a zen diary for 2019 and in one page there's a quote they've got quotes for every page one page is when the monkey mind becomes a monk mind then you will be enlightened swami sarva priyananda <laughs> And the text was, "Congratulations! Now you've got your own coat. You are being coated." That monkey mind becoming a monk mind—that's the whole point of karma yoga. Yeah. That's why it's a preliminary practice. Buddhim Mohaya Tell me one, tadeka vada nishchitya, yena shreyo aham Apnuyam, by which I shall attain what is good. What is Krishna's answer? By now we know. With all this discussion, Krishna will tell you you have to do both. Correct. <laughs> we'll just read the verse. Verse number three. Shri Bhagavanu vacha, Shri Bhagavanu vacha, loke asmin dvividha nishtha pura prokta mayanagha pura prokta mayanagha jnana yogena saankhyanam jnana yogena Sankyanam, karma yogena yoginam karma Yogina yoginam O Arjuna, the path has two stages, and this has been declared by me since times past. Pura mayanaka. by me it has been declared. The path has two stages. For those who are in the stage one, in the I gave it in three stages, right? So stage one and two, the pa- the stage one of karma yoga and the stage uh, stage two of meditation. Both of them together are karma yoga for for him. He says for those who are in the in the who are beginners, Karma Yogena Yogina. So preliminary practice, Karma Yoga. Jnana yogena. And then the next part of the journey is through jnana yoga, spiritual the, the path of knowledge. For whom? Sankhyana. Here the words are all technical. Sankhya means those who are fit for Sankhya means Atma vishaya Buddhi That means Atma jnana, self knowledge. Those who are fit for self knowledge, for them, jnana yoga. So should I sign up for the soup kitchen and stop coming to Vedanta society? Don't do that. I'm, I have to do karma yoga. This, this is not, so this, Krishna has told me. Told me to. No, what it means is it, it must all proceed together. It must all proceed together. But what it certainly does not mean is that I, I want to become enlightened. So I'll stop doing whatever I was doing in life. And now I'm, why I have become spiritual? No, that is foolishness. I've seen it happen again and again people uh, it's disastrous in India. I've seen people run run off from their schools, especially young people, run off from their schools and I've seen them in the Himalayas. I myself when the first time I went to the Himalayas um, and it was going wonderfully, sitting and meditating you know magnificent the snow peaks and the glaciers and you beg for food and um, the simple food and uh, the atmosphere itself is so divine and uplifting. You spend your time in prayer, meditation, study, and in solitude. I thought, this is great. I had just become a newly minted monk, 10 years. This was the, after I got my final vows. This second time I didn't call my mom. So <laughs> uh, After I got my final vows, a newly minted monk, and off I went to the, as high as I could, 10,000 feet Gangotri g- 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 in the Himalayas. And I thought this is great. I should have come here. Why did I spend 10 years in the ashram working in the school and the kitchen and the office and I should have come straight here. And then I immediately realized, no, it's because I spent those 10 years in training that my mind is, is taking straight to meditation exactly what he says. Gyani na na. Once your mind is prepared, then it settles down. Even there, there is a whole spectrum. Some of the monks who stay there for years and years, I got to know them. After some time, they open up and they become friendly and speak with you, if you're a monk. And they said to me something interesting. They said, we watch the monks who come here. Those who come here, we watch them. Two, three days after that, they become restless. Those who come here to meditate, we don't mix with them. We know that they were not going to last. After uh, four or five days, just think about it. Mostly we are driven to such places out of a restlessness of our mind. I don't like this anymore. I want peace and calm and a sublime. Yes, but the peace and calm and sublime, after a few days, it is just rocks and wind and ice and, and, and absolute solitude becomes absolute loneliness. If the mind is not prepared, it's a terrible thing. Society is a support. People can go crazy that way. So so after some time people can't take it, they run away. I remember this person, young man, he was working for, see the progression, idealistic. So he wants to do something for society. Joins an NGO, what's called a non-government, what's called a non-profit here. Doing some work, he was working for a non-profit. He told me. Then he got upset. Why? You can predict. If you are mature enough, you know. Young idealistic man comes into a non-profit Wanting to change the world And those who have experienced the world You will say, ah, we know the next step What happened? Politics inside the organization She, said, yes, how do you know? Everybody knows <laughs> You don't have to tell me Then this is horrible The world is horrible, the non-profit is also horrible Now what? The only last thing remains is God So off I go to the Himalayas And then I sit in a cave and meditate he used to come for the first few days, he used to argue with me. After that, he began to trust me and like me, and then he opened up. After a few days, he said, "Such I'm telling you, really, um, oh mug. I don't like anything. Uh, I mean I, I'm now unhappy. everything is unhappy. Even this is I'm making, it's making me unhappy. Now, where do I go? <laughs> where do I go now? Why is it? The problem is not outside. There are problems outside. But the real problem is inside. There is a saying, wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) (laughs) There you are, yes. In the cave also, you are there. And you don't like living in a cave with yourself. Now imagine, if you can't bear your own company, why should anybody else bear your company? The real attitude of a monk. I've heard it from a monk who stayed there in the Himalayas for decades and decades till the end of his life. I asked him. He was very happy. He was sitting there. I'll end with this. Surrounded by kids who, was, who were visiting in summertime, they used to play uh, with him. He he looked like exactly like um, you know the Lord of the Rings. A, the, the magician, the Gandalf is there, exactly like that. White dress up to the uh, ankles, and long beard, much longer than Gandalf the magician and the long dreadlocks which he used to keep curled up. He was Punjabi, so very tall and fair, uh, powerfully built old man. And the kids loved him. Uh, because they to sort of stare at him, he was something amazing. So I said, see you are happy, you are happy. You're, you're, you know, surrounded by people who love you, and they are coming to you, people trust you and coming to you for advice, and children playing around in the ashram. But when it's winter, six months in the winter, with snow and ice up to your knees. And remember, if it's 25 degrees outside, it's 25 degrees in your, in your room too. Because there's no inter- inner heating. Your bed is also 25 degrees. <laughs> so, uh, in that condition, what do you do then? When it's a howling wasteland of uh, ice and snow and snowstorms. He has seen snow leopards there in the ashram prowling outside. So, his answer now I am happy O oh monk And then I am happier I am very happy now monk, And at that time I am even happier That's possible Because You have found something uh, The mind is prepared Otherwise Sharply cutting away all this Blaming the world outside Is a recipe for um, disaster, spiritual disaster. Yeah. Karma yoga is important. And uh, we'll pick up from this in the next next class. We have a visitor. Um, this month is for visitors, right? We're getting so many visitors. <laughs> uh, Swami Tadananda, he is the head, the president of our ashram in Fiji. Fiji Islands, yeah. so he's going to come and he's going to talk about Bhagavad Gita for mental wellness. So he's going to speak about it next. So basically the theme of karma yoga in our modern perspective is this. Enlightenment and God realizations all very well. What about the rest of my life? I have a family, a job, a community, my own finance, health, all of that. What about that? All that comes under karma yoga. So that's why karma yoga is very very important. It's the answer to the practical questions of spirituality apart from all the high philosophy. Mm-hmm. Om shanti 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 hari om tatsat shri rama krishna rupa